everybody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And uh, so we're going to cover a lot of different issues today. Um, we're going to get back into uh, the uh, Biden scandal because over the weekend there was some testimony from one of the committee chairs, Com- uh, Representative Comer, that um, talked about the oh, it's the entire Biden family that's corrupt and crim- has criminalized the the uh, system. Um, it's the State Department that has gotten directly involved in the cover up of the Hunter Biden laptop, and it was the CIA that got involved with the State Department to try to sell the notion that it was uh, Russian disinformation, and even a guy like Mike Morell a CIA uh, stooge uh, basically said that the reason why they went about doing it that way is because it wasn't wasn't going to be good for Biden and, and they wanted to hurt Trump. They said pretty much that. That's, that's what they've said. That they wanted to basically, it wouldn't, you know, they wanted Biden to win is what they said. They wanted Biden to win. They did not want Donald Trump. Donald Trump was disrupting they're globalist dreams. That's exactly what was going on there. And you got to get your head around the motivating factors for this stuff. And it is globalism. It's what's driving the outside influences into corrupting our elections. It's what's driving our foreign policy. It's what's behind the whole concept of what they call a new world order. And what is all this? I mean, we know it. We talk about it all the time. And we just keep saying, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. And every other day, there's like some sort of a shoe that drops. But nothing happens. Nobody gets arrested. And so the complaint is, 
is that when is there going to be any justice in this country? And that is pretty much how this show is going to go today. And it's frustrating. It is. It really is because we're telling the truth. And there's just a whole pack of liars at the State Department and at the CIA and in the Department of Justice. And the chief kingpin liar of them all happens to be in the White House. He's going to go ahead and announce his presidency tomorrow from his basement in a pre-recorded from the basement announcement so as to not stumble his words and not mix things up. It's pathetic. It's hard to comprehend that we are a country that's heading toward Venezuela faster than we're heading for uh, greatness. To the point where France is actually dealing with China. Brazil is now dealing with China. China and Russia are aligned. BRICS is surpassed the G7. Russia's economy is surpassing the German economy. It's unbelievable how the world is flipping upside down and America is in a position right now where we can't manufacture a doggone thing. And these corporations, these multinational corporations are all about slave labor. And that's all they want. And it used to be that a, we wouldn't have a monopoly. If we didn't have if we could avoid monopolies, we would avoid slave labor. But we have the world's biggest monopolies that the history we have the biggest monopolies that the world has ever seen in history with BlackRock and Vanguard owning all of these companies to the point where you can't even boycott a con- company anymore because it doesn't matter if you boycott Netflix and go with another company you're still going to end up paying Larry Fink from BlackRock a truckload of money. He's still going to make the money. He owns both companies. It's sort of like BlackRock walks into a small town, buys every store in town. Every store in town engages in all kinds of um, repressive actions. And when you want to go and complain about it, you go to a competitor and say, I'll never shop there again. They were rude to me. And wherever you're shopping next is still going to be the same positive impact for the monopoly owner. And that's the frustrating part, that that there's no recourse. There's no uh, leverage. And that's what happens with monopolies. The corporations become dominant, so dominant they steamroll over the people. The people have no choice. They have to buy their food somewhere. And these corporations get to dictate the terms then to the politicians who actually handle the policies that condone or endorse or, you know, create a pathway for what the corporations want. And that's where Klaus Schwab and World Economic Forum and Davos every year, they get together with these meetings and they hatch these plans and they're getting they're they're becoming a lot more like nazi like they're becoming a lot more 
dict- dictatorial. They're becoming a lot more tyrannical. They're becoming ter- uh, repressive. They're becoming restrictive. They're becoming something that I thought thought we would never experience in this world. And that is that people are being herded like sheep, treated like animals, bottom feeders, if you will. And that's where we are as a, as a people in the world. And again, I came back from Italy in 2018, and uh, I, I basically said... I, I felt something. I was on this train, and, and I was surrounded by a bunch of people that were looking down into their book or looking down. They, they just Nobody engaged with anybody. Everybody kept to themselves. And I thought, there's no middle class. There's a worker going to work. And I was in Venice, and there was a pair of $1,500 pants. And I was like in the window. You know, I didn't even go in the store. Uh, I just looked in the window. And you could see that the people selling the pants, you look into the store, uh, the people selling the pants couldn't afford those pants. But the people traveling on their yachts to Venice can. So the world is just becoming this haves and haves-nots. And the gap between the haves and haves-nots is is bigger. You look at San Francisco, for example, one of the most liberal cities in in the world, and sure enough, that uh, there's the there's a huge wealth gap there, huge. It's huge, and that's what you get when you get socialism. That's what you get when you buy into this liberal crap, and then they engage in different policies, like San Francisco's trying to. Ad- they're advocating. The leaders are advocating for five million dollars per black person. I happen to be a Native American Indian. I'm like, where's my cut? We got slaughtered too. Where's my reparation? Oh, you know, and and I guarantee you, if I uh, did what they did in Chicago, right, and just start looting stores and putting a you know, with with a threat of putting a cap in someone's head, um, and then D.A. Bra- uh, Melvin Braggs, Alvin Braggs uh, would just let me go, the Mister Ivy Licker that he is would just let 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 me go based on my skin color. Well, I'm not dark enough maybe because I'm Native American Indian. I I have no clue. But I almost have to laugh when I listen to France talking about CRT and I listen to British talking about reparations. I mean, the British royalty are talking about reparations while France is talking about critical race theory. And I'm like, I didn't know they had Jim Crow. And of course, Jim Crow was written up by social democrats. In the 60s or 50s, Southern Democrats, they did them. They wrote those laws. The Democrats were the ones that were into segregation. They were the ones that were the racists. They were the ones that started the KKK. They're the ones that started Antifa. Not much different than KKK. They're wearing masks. They're they're uh, burning people at the stake. I mean, you know, they're doing all that stuff. It's a, it's, it's just a different costume. They're not wearing a sheet these days. I guess that one, you know, they burnt that bridge. And and so there, there it is. I mean, that's what's going on. You know, Black Lives Matter wants a sp- safe space, as if, you know, they're not the ones brutalizing everybody. But they want their safe space, and that's fine. That's called segregation. The black militant group that, you know, is inspired by the Black Panthers, 
uh, wants their segregation. It's called reverse racism, I guess. But it's so long as they're getting $83 billion, which is what they've gotten, with no audit, um, you know, all that was was a way to divide the political parties. And the thing about it is, too, is our country has been not divided with regard to race or gender. We've actually come a long way with race and gender. And there's this little thing called evolution. You know, people need more time than technology to evolve. Technology seems to be evolving overnight. People, on the other hand, only go at a pace that's, that's, that's natural. But you can't social engineer things without unintended consequences. And so, you know, but our, our leaders don't, don't bother with that. And we have new conflicts. We have this conflict in Sudan. And that's going to be another thing that we're going to talk about today. Hopefully we'll get to it. But let's get to a couple of things here. Um, we're going to start off... Well, I wanted to... Well, I'll start off with this globalist story. I wrote this piece over the weekend. I said, The story of slave labor, corporate greed, rigged elections, corrupt politicians, and Soros DAs. And I wrote this, tweeted it, and put it on Facebook. I said, The new order is shaping up to be more polarized where BRICS nations are becoming the supply chain utilizing their Belt and Road Initiative while G7 nations import BRICS supplies to innovate and control big tech, big pharma, R&D that gets manufactured back to BRICS. Utilization of their slave labor. The Paris Agreement, ESG, uh, the DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, Scamdemics, and Climate Hoaxes, and their climate hoax regulations ensure compliance to this arrangement, while open borders, refugees, and unbridled immigration support G7 domestic slave labor needs. These slaves are processed using apps with CBPO or CBP1 apps. You remember the app we were talking about a couple of weeks ago? whose database can be turned into a voter registration pool, much like Motor Voter does. These registrations are mass-mailed to undisclosed addresses. They're picked up from ballot harvesters, filled out by ballot harvesters, who drop completed ballots into drop boxes over the course of 30 days, counted after election night as needed to impact the outcome of an election. They have all the ballots they need. And they're only going to count what's needed and win by just a very little bit so they don't have a runoff, number one. And number two, because the signature verification is so poor that it would, you know, the less evidence, the better. So Soros bought the DA, bought DAs and investigators already in place. And... Uh, it goes like this. It goes, Soros bought DAs and investigators already in place will turn a blind eye to this corruption. Politicians and news media will do nothing 
for fear of losing donors and advertisers who finance this entire arrangement with help from corporations like BlackRock and Vanguard who own the biggest multinational monopoly in the history of the world and it will only get worse with artificial intelligence. So that's my piece and I'm sticking to it. And then we got the Sudan piece which is pretty amazing too. This 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 uh this thing is getting really heated and it comes in the he- on the heels of China brokering a deal between Iran and uh Saudi Arabia. And it's pretty um pretty scary. Um so we're going to get to that one here. Now this this story it says the conflict in Sudan, the hands of ESAU, a leader. Um, it has been found that Wag- the Wagner Group, which comes out of Russia, uh, the Va- they call it the Wagner Group, I guess. Uh, they come out of Russia, is behind the Sudanese rebel genera- general, Mohammed Hamdan Degallo. He's the commander of the rapid support forces in that country. Around the time China was brokering peace between Iran and Saudi Arabia, strangely, the United States was sending one of its ballistic missiles, one of its ballistic missile-armed submarines to the Red Sea in the Middle East in anticipation of an eruption there. Later, we started hearing about flights of Russia's supply aircraft between Libya and Khartoum. Now those who watch and listen said not less than 16 flights of U.S. Logistics Globe Master C-17 has landed in Djibouti. Some of them laden with uh, laden and flying out empty. China's only military base in Africa is in, in Djibouti, the country where AFRICOM the U.S. military window on Africa operates from Sudan, has access to the Red Sea to the east, and shares borders with seven nations, including Chad, our neighbor to the northeast. Others are Ethiopia, Entree, South Sudan, Libya, Egypt, and Central Africa Republic. Chad has closed its borders with Sudan as soon as the conflict erupted last week. And this is just last week. So, um, at least 350 civilians have died in the ongoing uh, conflict. Sudan, then, is another Angola brewing, where East and West will lock horns, the United States backing the government and Russia supporting the rebels. If anyone wanted to infect Africa with wars, Sudan will be one of the best places to begin from. Being so central and abutting and integrating influential social-political bands on the continent and the Middle East, Nigeria is separated from the conflict by just Chad. Nigeria must be all ears and just reinforce its own armed forces and strengthen its uh, intelligence, particularly to be able to tackle the flow of small arms, which will fan out into all the seven countries bordering Sud- Sudan 
and from there spread beyond South Sudan and its capital in Juba broke away from the parent Sudan in 2011 after years of unrest. So what this is about really is it's about uh, destabilizing Africa so they can go in and get all the gold, uh, the precious metals, uh, cobalt for one, um, for the electrical vehicles. China has a serious interest in that. And Russia uh, and China are aligned with all of this with regard to petroleum and with regard to um, with uh, electrical vehicles. You know, I was watching this documentary about Norway over the over the uh, weekend, and it just reminded me because it said their number one asset in Norway, their number one money maker, their biggest their, their cash cow is oil and natural oil and natural gas. And when we take a look with the Cy Hirsch investigation of the Nord Stream 2 explosion that put methane all out into the, um, into the waters that have traveled around the world by now, one of the worst uh, economic, uh, environmental disasters of all time, um, it, was, it was Norway was working in partnership with the United States to pull that off, which is kind of interesting. Um, and speaking of Norway and uh, Denmark and France and the G7 nations, they represent, they have um, GDP that represents uh, 50, 50% of the tax dollars that people spend. It's 50%. So the people, when they spend money on taxes, their GDP of these countries is over 50%. Now, America used to be 15%. And I just learned this over the weekend while watching Maria and McCarthy talking about how they're talking about the cap ceiling and they're talking about Taxation, and they're talking about how much tax dollars represent the GDP. It used to be that we would produce so much that we would uh, only have 15% of the GDP representing the tax base, the tax code. Well, now it's upwards of 26%. And that's a scary proposition, too. That's putting us in a, in a very, very bad light. So this story goes like this. It says uh, there's a chart, and although the United States is still near the uh, the lower part of the chart, it goes from and Mexico is at the bottom. Chile and Korea are below us, um, but Venezuela we're becoming more like Venezuela. But Denmark, France, Belgium, Finland, Italy, you know Austria, Sweden, all these. These are all very socialist sort of countries. And the citizens pay over 50%, 50% toward the GDP, the overall GDP, which is an unhealthy way to be, in my opinion. And it was healthier when, the, when our GDP was based on pr- production rather than tax. And right now, we've gone from 15% to 26% almost overnight. And that's a scary proposition. 
It says here, although the chart shows America near the bottom of this uh, of the list, it illustrates a growing trend from greedy globalists controlling their greater good, their great so-called greater good, right? In quotes, air quotes. For the first time, Americans are paying over 25%, 26% of GDP in taxes. We will become more like Venezuela before we know before we ever become France or Denmark because of DEI, ESG, climate hoax, defund the police, open borders, and rigged elections. See, we don't have half the crap that they have. They have a system where everybody's sort of contributing into the melting pot, and then the government does their thing. There's a lot of fraud and a lot of abuse, waste. and But America, I think, we're set up differently. We have a whole different... We don't have the same homogeny as Norway. We don't have the same low crime as as Norway. You know, that kind of thing. And so it's just one of these things where um, we'll be Venezuela before we ever get to be like Denmark, for sure. And so it's a, it's a scary, scary proposition. All right, so I want to move on and get get out of uh, Sudan and uh, all this and talk about the CIA cover-up and the Biden crime family because that's where we're going to be for most of this show today. Um, it says here, breaking in private sworn testimony, former C- acting CIA M- director Mike Morrell says that the Biden campaign asked him to organize 50 colleagues to sign a letter in October 2020 falsely claiming that Emails from Hunter Biden's laptop published by the New York Post were Russian disinformation. And then they censored and banned, Twitter did, which had, a, you know, the, the story about the Hunter laptop. And Rudy Giuliani was coming out with it. There was these pictures everywhere of, of Hunter, you know, sleeping with hookers and doing crack and weighing, weighing cocaine and and wielding a gun that he lied about and was on drugs when he got it. So he's in trouble with the ATF. He's in trouble with just about everybody. And uh, that's not even, you know, the liberal just wants to say, well, he's just a private citizen who has a Coke addiction, a drug addiction, right? So leave him alone. But it's more than that. Now now we're finding out that there's 12 family members that are involved in this this, uh, influence peddling scheme. So flashback, during the 2020, and where the problem comes into play is they say they didn't use this cover-up of the Hunter Biden laptop. They said they did not use this to advance or help out in winning their election, right? But rigging, I think, was still the biggest part of it. But it, it takes a village. It's all of this corruption going into play. And by the way, when Facebook, you know, shells out $400 million in election campaign funding and when the government itself, the FBI and the CIA and the State Department are all in on covering up crimes, whether it's uh, Benghazi, whether it's uh, the thing with Hillary and the emails and, um, you know, the two standards of justice, it was all of this. But. You get to then Biden, and of course, this was probably the biggest cover-up of all time. Then you you flip the script, and you basically get a fake story. 
and you you just lamb blast Trump, and you act like that's legit, but all the real stories are illegitimate, and that it, it's it's a reversed universe. And for the longest time, we were called conspiracy conspiracy nuts. We were banned from social media for telling the truth. How many people got deplatformed on YouTube for merely telling the truth about these scandals? They're all gone. I mean, they're you know they're they've been hurt financially. I mean, talk about lawsuits waiting to happen. But I don't think we'll ever see it. Statue of limitations, whatever. But these these are the crimes. We're, these is this is the swamp and the slime and the crimes we're living in. But let's take a listen to Joe Biden lying through his teeth during a debate with Donald Trump. There are 50 former national intelligence folks 50, he says. who 50. said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is, has all the care. Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Nobody believes it except the, his and his good friend Rudy Gianni. Very quick. Right. Okay. Now let's listen to this uh, little stamp uh, from uh, Laura Ingram talking about Mike Morrell. One news that ex-CIA director Mike Morrell had become a problem for Biden. It turns out that he testified under oath that it was the Biden campaign itself that was behind that letter that he and 50 other former intel officials released that claimed, remember falsely, that information from Hunter Biden's laptop ah, was just Russian disinformation. Congressman Jordan, Jim Jordan, asked, well, what was the intent of the statement? And Morell answered, one intent was to you know, share our concern with the American people that the Russians were playing on this issue. And two, it was to help vice president, the vice president. Chairman Jordan then says, you wanted to help the vice president? Why? The answer because I wanted him to win the election. And then it got worse when Morell said that current Secretary of State Antony Blinken was the one who spearheaded the letter. Now, remember, it's never just about Hunter. In the end, it's always about the big guy. Joining me now is House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan. Congressman, you've been very methodical about this investigation. Um, we're going to get to Morell's uh, yep. testimony. Um, but is, is it worth right. asking... First, whether the attorney general himself may be in some legal jeopardy here on the question of obstruction of justice, given what we learned from NBC News and others tonight. Yeah, we'll have to see what we do know, uh, Laura, is what you said. This has been political from the get go, clear back to the Morrell situation when the story came out on October 14th, 2020, about the Biden business operation and was then Vice President Joe Biden involved. There was some concern that that, that he was. And then quickly it turns in this political operation, that, that letter that became the basis for suppressing the story and keeping it from the American people just days before the most important election we have, election for president of the United States. So understand what happened, Laura. The 14th, the Post does a story. The 17th, Tony Blinken, senior advisor to the Biden campaign, current secretary of state, contacts Mike Morrell, gets him interested in this. Mike Morrell looks at it the next day, organizes on the 18th all these other people to sign the letter. The 19th, the letter goes out. And then on the 22nd, the reason Mike Morrell said he did the letter was he thought President Trump would bring the issue up during 
that debate on the 22nd of, of October. And of course he did. And they wanted some statement that Joe Biden could use because, as Mr. Morrell said, they wanted him to win. Yeah, and what well, happens on the 22nd? Yeah. Joe Biden brings it up. And, it, and then after that debate, here's the kicker. Steve Reschetti, chair of the Biden campaign, calls up Mike Morrell and thanks him for doing it all. It was a total political operation. And the most important fact is, Laura, it was false. It wasn't Russian disinformation. The laptop story looks to be true. Well, just so people remember what happened, because there are a lot of facts flying around here tonight. This was during the 2020 debate. and, And this is what Congressman Jordan is referring to. Biden actually referencing this letter that we now know a lot more about. Watch. Look, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. You mean the laptop is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax? That's exactly what this is is where he's going. The laptop is Russia, Russia, Russia. Well, Congressman Donald Trump was right, was he not? This is ridiculous. Of course he was right. Uh, there is no doubt about it. And uh, so, you know, that was just an integral, integral moment. And what do you think the media did? Let's take a listen. Secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, these emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. Secret email. And, and here is Biden uh, lying again on interviews. All of a sudden, there's a laptop. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. I still think that the stories from the fall about your son Hunter were Russian disinformation at a smear campaign, like you said. Yes, yes, yes. I know you'd ask it. I have no response. It's another smear campaign. It's the last-ditch effort in this desperate campaign to smear me and my family. The vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. Well, there was, and uh, shame on the CIA, uh, those scum, absolute scum. You know, and it's, it's, it's really getting bad. I mean, like, everywhere you turn, you can't avoid this wokeness. I was on LinkedIn, and I had not used LinkedIn because they've been censoring me and all this stuff. So I just don't even bother with LinkedIn, right? So I was like, oh, well, some things popped up on my emails. And I'm like, let me just see what, what's going on with LinkedIn. So I was going to like spruce it up and maybe start using some of it. I'm, I canceled my account uh, because I was uh, going to update the banners on, on it, right? So I updated the banner, the back banner. And it's, I, I said, I thought about updating my LinkedIn banner at the top of my page and these were the only options available for banners of course i could i couldn't upload my own banner on the phone app of course i canceled my account they had already 
censored my articles that I posted, so I stopped using them a while back. The woke, the woke uh, BS is part of a bigger plan. When you understand what they're really trying to do, you will realize this is part of a globalist agenda that is trying to destroy middle-class Judeo-Christian values and our Constitution. Both are essential for our survival. Destroying a country is almost a multi-step process, is always a multi-step process, as is rigging elections. So what was interesting about this is uh, all they had were um, these choices. LGBTQ, so I'm going to put an LGBTQ banner up on, um, LGBTQ, uh, a transgender flag, an LGBTQ plus a black fist for solidarity, right? Then I got stand for justice. I got black owned business. I got amplified black voices. I got black lives matter. Uh, two versions of that. I got celebrate Hispanic voices. I got something written in Spanish. I got celebrate Latinx voices and black another Black Lives Matter and something that says Asi Soyo. I don't even know what it is. So what I'm saying is, is that LinkedIn went that doesn't even give you a chance to say, you know, God is great or um, family is number one. You know, <laughs> whatever. You know, there's nothing you can do. Whoops, I had my phone system on. Okay, so um, we're going to go ahead and uh, actually, oh, that, I just hung up on that person, actually. I was going to go ahead and take that call, but uh, I hit the wrong button. So um, if you want to call back, you can. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that. I hit the wrong button. But if that person wants to call back, they can. Uh, Biden is either importing Chinese cheap, hard slave workers from China to keep his corporate donors happy while coordinating with CCP or CCP uh, is exploiting Biden's open border to invade America. Either way, they will be processing and registering to vote. So this is uh, China. Now, this is a bunch of Chinese individuals being shipped across our southern border. Oh, we are going to take the the caller. Okay, sorry about that. Um, let's see. Caller, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. How's it going? Hi there. Sorry for hanging up on you last time. No problem. Um, you, you got me thinking. I was a pretty strong Democrat, I think, in my younger years because of some of the things that they said. This was in the early 90s or the mid-90s when, well, actually up until, you know, the early 2000s, really, after 9-11, I was probably, I would be what you would call one of the truthers, and I would believe that would be a Democrat-led movement to say, hey, uh, Bush was involved, 911 and all that stuff, but since then, I've grown a lot more conservative in my, and I, and I feel very um, hurt that the, I said some of the ideals that I was supporting at the time are now being used to commit what I would say is fraud against the entire population. But you got me thinking when you started the show today about how you said like one political or one corporation can basically fund both political parties and kind of control both sides of the aisle. That's sort of what you were saying in the beginning, right? Yeah, that that is true. Now they're controlling every aspect. You know, we have, uh, it's a uni party. They call it a uni party because they're owned by the corporations. You know, the corporatocracy, right? Yeah, yeah. 
And, and, and so you get these corporations, eventually they have to, you know, hedge their bets. You know, they got to put some money in this pot and some money in this pot just in case the other side, you know, won that time. Well, what it seems like they've done is they've taken the message of what was a good message, I think, the Democratic Party had at one time was how to take care of people and how to, you know, increase the wealth for everybody. You know, it didn't seem so socialist at the time and what corporations have done. And it, it seems like what you're talking about, LinkedIn and a lot of those type of businesses that involve employment and businesses, they've taken that message to an extreme almost to, in essence, to say, I would say discriminate almost, but to weed out certain undesirable personality traits from employees, like maybe free thinking and um, objective thinking, and replace that with this uh, hive mindset so that the only people that they want to hire and are even uh, supporting hiring right now are people who fit that profile. And it would almost seem like another form of discrimination. I don't know if you call it reverse racism. Well, I think it's indoctrination. And I think it's also mm-hmm. a filtering system like you just uh, alluded to, which is you're either you're either going to say the sky is purple or you're not going to be in the club, That's you it. know, period. Right. It's a big club and you ain't in it. Remember? That? Yeah. No, they say all these buzzwords like when Obama used to walk around using referring to ISIS yes. as ISIL. Right. ISIL. That was always a code word. And I remember when Lindsey Graham adopted that, too. He didn't, he, and as soon as Trump came, became president, he stopped saying ISIL and said ISIS. But when Obama was president, he said ISIL, letting people know mm-hmm. what side of the fence you're on. And you could, right. you could document that. Um, it, there, there's coded language. And the coded language is, you know, if you have a black fist or a rainbow flag in your profile, uh, pretty much you're going to be adopted. Um, but there is a lot of grooming and there's a lot of suggestion that says, that you know, people that get a college degree end up further radically left, and people who don't uh, actually end up a little bit more conservative. And it's not about whether you're intelligent or smart or bright or informed. It's it's really about indoctrination. Um, and I we have a lot, a lot of the uh, way that you have to spend your money and how you have to budget and how you have to think about fiscal responsibility versus spending ideally like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She wants to spend all the money on these ideals. Well, there's no guarantee there's going to be a return on any of her ideals, but she insists we spend trillions of dollars to fund these humanitarian style causes, which I don't believe are humanitarian. I, in fact, think they're in fact made to enslave us and to enrich their advertised message spreaders. Well, remember this, too. When a trans does storytelling to a 10-year-old, realize that that 10-year-old is only two elections away from voting. They'll be 18 oh, yeah. In, yeah. in eight years. And what, when, did, when, when did storytelling have anything, when did library storytelling have anything to do with transgenderism? Why did those two things, and, and think about that, why were those two things brought together, so specifically reading and education and, you know, learning on your own at the library and this, oh, but you have to accept this new world that these intelligent people have created for us with this surgical procedure to turn a human being into something that is not right, if you ask me, but I'm not going to be opinion. That's just my opinion. I think you're taking it too far that way, but right. um, (laughs) Well, anyway, why did they bring those two ideas together? That's just crazy. What what is your name and where are you calling from? I believe you might be a first time caller. 
Well, you know, I've called. It's been a while. Uh, I just haven't had time to uh, listen to you in the mornings. It's just my, my, my name's Timothy. Uh, I live in Austin, Texas. Uh, I used to call in. It was probably a couple of years ago. I talked to you a few times, you know, during uh, not a week or anything. I've talked to you a few times in the morning when I'd be on my way to work. I brought it up one time how the, um, the adoption system was uh, hiding some of these um, uh, the idea of the, the missing children and that something was happening in the adoption. So we had a good conversation about that one wow. time. I remember well, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling in today. Thanks for taking my call this morning, man. I keep calling. I keep listening. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, let's, uh, I'll take a listen to this or this is a real quick clip about the Chinese coming in to our borders. And of course, Biden's selling out to China, so who knows what's going on. I mean, listen, I'm not here to speculate. I'm going to let your audience watch the video, and you guys can come to your own conclusion. I don't really want to get into all that, but the video speaks for itself. I think I put up two of, uh, you know, showing the line of these military-aged males that are lining up to get on these buses to come up here. That's happening every day, multiple times a day down there. So, again, I'm not going to speculate. Um, you know, if you have a more specific question, I, you know, we can get into that. It certainly doesn't look good. Uh, I'll tell you that much. certainly doesn't look good. Just from a geography perspective, I'll press you on that. If they wanted to come to America, which is here, from China, which is here, why would they come through Latin America, which is all the way down there, and much more indirect? Uh, right. So, I mean, this would be for people who can't fly into the U.S. directly. So what they do is they get on a flight and they fly into some South American country. Uh, then from there, they would go to Colombia, they would go across the jungle, pop out in Panama, and then they would head up to the United States. But this is going to be for people that can't fly into the U.S. directly, because you're correct. It wouldn't make sense. You'd rather just fly into the U.S. and overstay your visa. Um, this is for people that don't have that access for whatever reason. Mm. From January to March, there were 2,200 Chinese migrants who crossed the Darien Gap in the same three-month span last year. Only 71 Chinese migrants were recorded crossing the gap. Well, you know, to me, it looks like a sleeper cell. Uh, these Chinese that are coming through our southern border, it, it, it could be Chinese militant police. Remember the uh, Chinese police station that was shut down in New York? Well, who's to say these aren't captains of uh, police forces that they're setting up these uh, pri- you know, secret police stations uh, to basically curb Chinese dissidents? In our country. That's what the Chinese police forces are about. They're trying to silence anybody speaking up against China. So it could be that. It could be terror um, SEALs. It could be like special ops guys. Because in the video that I just saw, um, these guys look pretty well put together. You know, they look strong, tough, you know, and they've worked out. They've hit the gym. Uh, These were pretty beastly guys they're pretty tough guys and um uh to me you know they could be a sleeper cell uh they could do all kinds of things so who knows what's going on but we have somebody to sleep at the wheel here oh and then we got the climate hoax global warming global warming and climate change are a ruse supporting supported by multinational corporations to advance slave labor by creating a new world order where BRICS nations manufacture while G7 nations import and innovate manufactured products from BRICS. Climate regulations are a mechanism to enforce compliance to this arrangement. 
I believe that is so. All right, so we have a couple of uh, more audio clips. This is one that's pretty telling. This is George Soros, but it's going to start off with Hillary Clinton introducing George Soros. This was before the 2016 election. Not enough for America's future that some participate and others don't. We have been given an extraordinary blessing. And at this moment in time, our country needs us. And we need people like George Soros, who is fearless and willing to step up when it counts. So please join me in welcoming George Soros. All right, listen to this, folks. Listen to this, George Soros, with his election, electoral process interests. It is the first time that I feel that I need to stand up and do something really uh, in, uh, and become really engaged um, in the electoral process in, in this country. And uh, Nancy Pelosi was in the crowd in that scene. I want you to listen to this Tucker Carlson clip. These are the most important words Tucker Carlson has ever spoken, said Benny Johnson. Let's take a listen. It might be time to start to reassess the terms we use to, to describe what we're watching. So when I started at Heritage, the presumption was, and this is a very Anglo-American assumption, that the debates we're having are kind of rational debates about the way to get to mutually agreed upon outcomes. Right? So like we all want the country to be more prosperous and free and people to be less oppressed or whatever. And so we're going to argue about tax rates. And I think higher tax gets, gets us there. I'm a Keynesian. And you disagree, you're an Austrian or whatever. But the objective is the same. And so we write our papers and they write their papers and may the best papers win. I, I, I don't think that's what we're watching now at all. I don't think we're watching a debate over how to get to the best outcome. I think that's completely wrong. And I've come to this conclusion, not, and I should say at the outset I'm an Episcopalian, so don't take any theological advice from me because I don't have any. I grew up in the foul, shallowest faith tradition that's ever been invented. It's not even a Christian religion at this point, um, I say with shame. But I'm just saying this as an observer of what's going on. There is no way to assess, say, the transgenderist movement with that mindset. Policy papers don't account for it at all. If you have people who are saying, I have an idea, let's castrate the next generation. Let's sexually mutilate children. I'm sorry, that's not a political debate. What? There's nothing to do with politics. What's the outcome we're desiring here? An androgynous population? Is that really what we are? We arguing for that? I don't, I don't think anyone could like, defend that as a positive outcome. But the weight of the government and uh, you know, a lot of corporate interests are behind that. Well, what is that? Well, it's irrational. If you say, well, you know, I think abortion is always bad. Well, I think sometimes it's necessary. That's a debate I'm familiar with. But if you're telling me that abortion is a positive good, what are you saying? Well, you're arguing for child sacrifice, obviously. It's not about like, oh, a teen, you know, a teen girl gets pregnant, and what do we do about that, and victims of rape. I, you know, I get it. I, of course I understand that, and I have compassion for everyone involved. But when the Treasury Secretary stands up and says, you know what you can do to help the economy get an abortion? Well, you, that's like an Aztec principle, actually. There's not a society in history that didn't practice human sacrifice. Not one. I checked. Even the Scandinavians 
I'm ashamed to say, it wasn't just the Mesoamericans, it was everybody. So like, that's what that is. Well, what's the point of child sacrifice? Well, there's no policy goal entwined with that. No, that's a theological phenomenon. And that's kind of the point I'm making. None of this makes sense in conventional political terms. When people or crowds of people, or the largest crowd of people at all, which is the federal government, the largest human organization in human history, decide that the goal is to destroy things, destruction for its own sake. Hey, let's tear it down. What you're watching is not a political movement, it's evil. So if you want to assess, and I'll put it in non, and I'll stop with this, I'll put it in non, I'll put it in non-political, uh, or non, rather non-specific theological terms, and just say, if you want to know what's evil and what's good, what are the characteristics of those? And by the way, you know, I, I think the Athenians would have agreed with this. This is not necessarily just a Christian notion. This is kind of a, I would say, widely agreed upon understanding of good and evil. What are its products? What do these two conditions produce? Well, I mean, good is characterized by order, calmness, tranquility, peace, whatever you want to call it, lack of conflict, cleanliness. Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's true. It is. And evil is characterized by their opposites. Violence, hate, disorder, division, disorganization, and filth. So if you are all in on the things that produce the latter basket of outcomes, what you're really advocating for is evil. That's just true. I'm not calling for religious war. Far from it. I'm merely calling for an acknowledgement of what we're watching, which is not what, and I'm not, certainly not backing the Republican Party. I mean, ugh. I'm not making a partisan point at all. I'm, I'm just noting what's super obvious. Like those of us who are in our mid-50s are caught in the past in the way that we think about this. One side's like, no, no, you know, I've got this idea and we've got this idea and let's have a debate about our ideas. They don't want a debate. Those ideas won't produce outcomes that any rational person would want under any circumstances. Those are manifestations of some larger force acting upon us. It's just so obvious. It's completely obvious. And I think two things. One, we should say that and stop engaging in these totally fraudulent debates where we are using the terms that we used in 1991 when I started at Heritage as if maybe, you know, I could just win the debate if I marshaled more facts. I've tried that. doesn't work. And two, maybe we should all take just like 10 minutes a day to say a prayer about it. And there you are. Say a prayer. Well, please visit magapac.org. Also use Red State over at mypillow.com and check out shenyun.com for their events. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.